Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I want to welcome back to the program Tyler Voigt. He is the director of Americans for Prosperity, North Carolina's chapter. Welcome, Tyler. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you today? I am doing all right. Doing all right. So uh, I guess you guys are done now, right? Uh what what else is there to do? You got the uh, <laughs> you got the expansion of the school vouchers or the opportunity scholarships now into uh, for everybody in North Carolina. So that's it, right? Pack it up. Uh, what are going to see on the on the soup lines? Well, yeah, I think the, I think one of the cool things about AFPs we're never really done. We're not one of those groups that uh, sees a win. And and don't get me wrong, this is a massive massive win for school choice. And packs it up. We're uh, we're already looking forward to next year um, to what we can uh, push further in the in the in the short session and then beyond. But but it just just a massive day for us on Friday and for parents uh, and kids in North Carolina seeing the opportunity scholarship go finally full universal, so we can actually get every kid, let every kid in the states uh, help help them reach their full potential. Just just a massive win for us. Did you have to agree to any casinos? As part of the deal, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad that AFP kind of stayed out of the way and then stayed out of the water on the casinos thing. It was interesting to watch. I'll say the last couple of weeks in the budget negotiations, knowing that uh, opportunity scholarships are our um, big school choice effort was kind of going along with it. But thankfully, if we go back to when these two bills were filed, um, we saw a supermajority in the House and a supermajority in the Senate jump on, not just as supporters, but as sponsors of these bills. So seeing both chambers really signal that this was going to be a priority for them, um, it, it was great to see. And again, the budget negotiations, they're not for everybody. Um, it, it took a little bit of time, but I think we finally got to where we are and we ended up seeing a pretty good budget. Yeah, and I, I, I saw a, uh, a comment that, well, you know, all of these conservative principles that are in the budget would never have happened without Medicaid expansion and and particularly on the on the opportunity scholarships it's just that's just garbage i mean this is a uh, it's a popular uh policy it's uh it, as it's been rolled out more and more people get involved and they learn about it which i think is actually one of the biggest uh obstacles is a lot of families don't know that this program exists and that every, that anybody can access it. I told uh, uh, some friends we were over at their house about a month ago, and I said, "Yeah, it's expanding." And they said they they were not even aware that the program existed, let alone that they could qualify for it. Yeah, it's it's extremely popular. We see time after time and poll after poll come out that parents want this. They see this as a win. They want more flexibility in their uh, their kids' schooling. I think COVID uh, and shutdowns and school closures opened a lot of eyes of what was going on. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I think public schools are fantastic, and I want to see public schools succeed, and I want to see them be able to 
give more flexibility internally to really help kids reach their full potential. And a a vast majority of North Carolina students are going to go to public schools. So we have work to do there, Mm -hmm. uh, opening that up and letting them kind of letting them kind of breathe a little bit, uh, whether that's through programs called open enrollment or partial enrollment. Those are things we'd like to see down the line. But like you said, this is a really popular program. This is passed through a bipartisan uh, effort. We saw Republicans and Dems alike support this on both the standalone bill and the budget. And uh, being the first state to pass this with a Democrat in the governor's mansion is something pretty cool that I think a lot of uh, the members who supported this, championed this, uh, can really hang their hat on. Now, and to be clear, uh, Roy Cooper has not had any kind of road to Damascus moment here. He's not going to sign the budget. It's just going to become uh, law without his signature. And that's true. And yeah. if you look at uh, Governor Cooper's website, he is still rolling with the uh, school <laughs> state of emergency through other states of emergency. That's the one that we're uh, apparently highlighting at the top of the website. So we're we're sitting there waiting, kind of laughing to ourselves at how long that banner is going to stay at the top of his website. But no, Governor Cooper has been opposing this the entire time. But I think this just shows that even when you have a governor that is going to be in opposition to great policy like this, that you can really you can really reach a uh, you can re- you can reach a lot of people on both sides of the aisle. And you can come to some sort of consensus. So this is a good thing. I mean, like you said, polling regularly has this as a as a winning issue, um, and and uh, and it's something that kind of played out as we've had this conversation over the last couple of years. So I, I refer to uh, Governor Cooper's uh, declaration to be a stunt of emergency because it's not actually right. yeah state of emergency. So uh, and also on the polling thing, and this uh, kind of dovetails into this fight that I saw over uh, the weekend. Uh, from was this the college Democrats, the young Democrats of North Carolina, and the North Carolina teen Democrats? Uh, they put out some sort of a joint statement of the three leaders from these organizations attacking black Democrat lawmakers for signing on to the budget. Um, and what's like particularly ironic is that like they're these are black kids going after black lawmakers, but the school choice issue, which is referenced, like that's that's particularly popular among black voters and parents. So I don't understand why like these kids who are at college, like you realize you're kind of on a on a opportunity scholarship kind of a system right there, right? I mean, the 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 higher education model is is very similar. Medicare is a voucherized system. Food stamps is a voucherized system. So people don't have problems with this when it's replicated in other types of services. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's kind of funny, and I noticed that too, and that was kind of a mess. And then you saw um, Representative Brockman's response to that, uh, which I thought was very interesting of itself. When you have uh, when you have former Democrats like Representative Cotham um, who see this kind of infighting and inability to buck the status quo and have these conversations that are really on bipartisan issues. Um, I think just kind of pushing and pushing on that. I mean, we've already seen those conversations start to swell up. So I think, like you said, we we see this program play out across the board in a lot of other aspects of uh, what government does. Uh, It's popular. The school choice is popular. It's becoming more popular. And it's it's interesting to me that this is the one sticking point that folks are like, no, we're not going to do that. This this is not some this is not some place we're going to bend on um, any kind of assistance here. Uh, to find a, a school that best fits a kid's needs is, is not going to go. And I think there may be some 
some vocal voices, maybe not uh, as powerful as they used to be, but vocal voices on the left that are kind of continuing to bang that drum, saying any kind of school choice, any kind of education freedom, we won't su- we won't support because it kind of uh, it bucks their status quo. Mm-hmm. No, it's the, the dividing line is clear inside the Democratic Party where school choice uh, uh, divides these these camps. You've got essentially a, a, a pro teachers union camp and you have this other camp which is growing in in size and influence which is represented by folks like cecil brockman but also guys like marcus brandon that are african-american lawmakers that are on most other issues they are progressives they are liberals but on this issue they're like we this is not working for our constituents and so when they start to have a different opinion about the best way forward for their constituents the amount of blowback that they get, I think, is indicative of that chasm and uh, the, I think the fear that exists inside the Democrat Party that they're going to lose uh, their control over too many lawmakers and then the, uh, the union isn't as powerful any longer. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, in, in Charlotte, you can look back years. Uh, you've had somebody who's been vocally supportive of these kind of uh, choice programs or education freedom programs and uh, Joel Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's been a very, very vocal uh, proponent of these. And if you can just search his name on Twitter or X, you'll see people attacking him for having these positions. And I think, like you said, there's just, there's no room in a lot of these conversations for any kind of disagreement on this. But when you see an issue that polls at 65, 70%, uh, it's, it's like it's very popular among mm-hmm. people. So you're going to see folks who see their their communities more impacted by this, understand the importance of this, and really take that um, principled stand that they know this is the right way to go forward, and they're going to stand and uh, stand up against their party and against their um, a lot of their party's more vocal supporters a lot of times and and support what they know is going to be right for their community. I do wonder what happens if this doesn't completely and utterly destroy public education like they've been predicting. I, I wonder what the argument then becomes, you know? Well, I, I would say I will... Uh, I will search the internet for that, but I right, I, yeah, like I would have, I have no idea. Like, what does it turn into? <laughs> yeah, well, net neutrality has already destroyed the internet. That's like, right. That's true. Worked. That's true. So, we all died. We're kind of lost. I kind of searching for that. That's true. I totally forgot that none of it matters anyway, because uh, we're all in Armageddon anyway. All right. Uh, hey, uh, Tyler Voigt, Americans for Prosperity, North Carolina. Good work on all of this uh, on the effort. I know it's been a long slog, but uh, uh, you guys did good work, and I appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. All right, Tyler Voigt, appreciate you. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? All right, so oh, I did see, hang on, I did get that email uh, from Dillard. 
I will respond, Dillard, but I'm going to clean up this uh, uh, this budget topic real quick. Um, so to, to do this is from John Hood over at Carolina Journal. Now that the North Carolina General Assembly has finally passed a state budget for the 2023-25 biennium, and Governor Cooper has decided not to veto it, allowing it to become law without a signature, so it's not like a pocket veto, it's like a pocket pass, like quarterbacks. Conservatives have a great deal to celebrate. The bill achieves major victories for fiscal restraint, tax and regulatory relief, as well as education reform, among other important causes. On tax relief, North Carolina's flat rate on personal income is going to drop to 3.99%. And that'll happen over the next two years. Um, Right now, the current rate is 4.75. So it's going to drop almost one full percentage point. There will be additional rate reductions after 2026, but that's going to depend on the revenue situation. So... This is more, uh, I've heard it described, you know, more art than science, because as you start, uh, you know, changing the, uh, uh, these percentages, you don't know because the, you know, the macroeconomics, the, the current environment, like all of this stuff impacts your revenue uh, forecasts. And so you're, you're only going to be really confident once you see the impact year to year. And so that's why they do it in this graduated fashion they've been dialing it down for a decade literally corporate income tax rates personal income tax rates democrats had made us a high taxed uh income state tax and uh, or a state income tax rather uh as well as high sales taxes it made us very uncompetitive and then we had property taxes as well and depending on what county you were in those were high too so the idea is look it's like a balloon you're going to squeeze one side of the balloon right and it's going to The air's got to go someplace. But the idea is that you tax that which you want to discourage and you do not tax that which you want to encourage. And so if you are encouraging people to make money, which then creates economic activity, then you don't tax their income. So this way they keep more of the fruits of their labor and they can invest it in other things and that that then spurs more activity. Okay. Um, Infrastructure. The budget provides $2 billion water and sewer grants to local governments, $4.6 billion into the state capital and infrastructure fund. Uh, they got regulatory reform saying that local governments have no legal authority to impose minimum wage on pri- minimum wage uh, uh, limits on private firms and that state agencies have no legal authority to impose cap and trade programs or new rules on automotive, uh, automotive emissions. Educational freedom, we went over the Opportunity Scholarship Program. That's expanded. Now it's universal. Uh, They also made progress on how North Carolina trains, deploys, and compensates public school teachers. All instructors are going to get pay raises, but lawmakers focused on the front end. John Hood says wisely focused on the front end of the pay schedule. See, by the way, this is why the argument, you'll notice if you kind of track this over the years, The argument always changes focus first when Republicans took over and they started getting the starter teacher pay up. They were attacked because the veteran teachers weren't getting the same kind of compensation boosts. Then after they had set set the pay scale with $1,000 annual guaranteed income increases for all new teachers... Every year, you're guaranteed a $1,000 pay bump. 
for 15 years every year, okay? So anything that you hear, all of these percentages of 4% this year, 3% next year, that's on top of the 1,000, okay? That's more. So you're getting 1,000, plus you're going to get another 3 or 4%. But the argument was against the legislature because, well, where's the veteran teacher pay? Well, after they did the starting teacher pay, they then came back and did veteran teacher pay. And then what did we hear? Well, what about the new teachers? Now they're going back for the new teachers again. And what are we hearing this year? You guessed it. What about the veteran teachers? All righty. So uh, back to John Hood's write up here on the budget, which uh, there's look, there is stuff in any $30 billion spending plan. There's going to be things that you don't like. <laughs> um, and there are things in here I do not like. Uh, there are some things in here that I do like. Obviously, the one that I spent 10 years fighting against that the Republicans completely caved and rolled over on and then told me that I'm not a conservative anymore. Medicaid expansion. Uh, yeah, I was against that. Oh, Governor Cooper did a press conference claiming success, just as I predicted. Um, corporate welfare. Yeah, that's in there, too. Who's I mean, come on. Name me a politician who's not a sucker. For a big pair of scissors and a ribbon to cut, maybe whilst wearing a hard hat. Um, what else we got in here? Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, the Public Records Destruction Act, uh, where lawmakers are going to be able to decide whether or not they should keep their notes and their correspondence and records. And so they'll just be the final arbiter of that. And I know that no elected official would ever, 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 ever destroy any public information document that could otherwise be FOIA'd. I'm sure that they would never destroy anything like that unless it was, you know, totally legitimate to destroy it. Now, John Hood says, um, Whatever you think of the idea of selectively legalizing casinos, for example, lawmakers should never have tried to stuff it into the final budget. No casino bill was ever aired and passed by committee, then debated and enacted on the floor. When budget conferees meet to negotiate a compromise, they should be considering only the issues actually in dispute, provisions already contained in the House or Senate budgets, or at the very least, other bills that were already passed by one chamber. So I, I don't like to see any of these big policy uh, decisions crammed into budgets. I don't like that. Um, I understand why it's done. I don't like it. I like individual budgets, and that makes things harder to pass. And I say good. <laughs> good. I, you know, I am totally fine Like with this lockdown or not lockdown, the government shutdown. Oh, my gosh, the government's going to shut down. Well, the gridlock, we can't get anything done. And I'm like, yay. I know I've rung the bell a lot today. I don't know why. It's a bell ringing kind of a day. Um, no, I, I'm fine with that. GovCo doing less is A-OK with me. So why do you got to care about this process? Because when you don't follow a process, you end up with embarrassing messes like the one that nearly derailed this year's budget negotiations over the casinos. And the video lottery terminals, right? That's what you end up with. The final outcome took far too long to accomplish. The General Assembly clearly needs real guardrails and deadlines, including caps on the length of legislative sessions. I agree. I agree. There needs to be there needs to be a window, and if you don't get it done, you don't get it done. 
That's it. If the legislatures of Florida and Texas and Georgia and Virginia and Tennessee and God help us, South Wait a minute. Why would John Hood say, God help us, South Carolina? What's up with that? Why the shade thrown to South Carolina? I do not endorse it. Um, if, the, if all of these different states, though, can get all of their work done in a fixed amount of time, why can't North Carolina's uh, legislature do the same thing? It's a great question. On the public records thing, a small paragraph empowers records custodians. That's the term that's used in the law if you are a custodian. It allows you to determine what qualifies as a public record and what does not. And that custodian is also allowed to destroy documents that they deem not to be a public record. The state lawmakers are already considered to be custodians of their own records. Okay, so all of that is a given. Okay. But North Carolina's public record law right now already allows them to claim their records are exempt. But now the records could be destroyed, denying citizens the right to public scrutiny of their government. So Andy Jackson, he is the director of the John Locke Foundation's Civitas Center for Public Integrity. He called it problematic that members of the General Assembly are on the edge of making themselves functionally exempt from public records law by giving themselves the power to unilaterally determine if a document should be a public record or not. So the way it would work, well, it still does right now, I guess, until this thing becomes law, the budget becomes law. The way it works is that, yes, they are custodians, but they have to give an explanation for why they are wanting to destroy something. Now they can just say nothing, I guess. The Carolina Journal actually has countless records requests that have been filed with agencies across state government requesting information on pandemic shutdowns, methodology for the COVID dashboard numbers, tons of stuff from years ago. Government custodians of public records seem to believe that the public records request process is just a waiting game, though, and they often don't respond or, uh, or respond so late and so inadequately that journalists are forced to just move on to newer stories. What do I say? What do I say? Rule number one. Journalists are lazy, right? And so, yeah, if you just wait them out. By the way, this is also a problem when you have smaller market media because people are trying to move to the next bigger market. So the people in the industry, they don't stick around very long, which is one of the nice things now. Charlotte has become a larger market. So now it is a final destination for a lot of uh, a lot more media people, for good or bad. But that means that they have more institutional knowledge. They've been around a while. They know different people. They remember certain things. That's important because journalism relies so much on, you know, how you got to where you are. What was the past uh, stories and what were the past positions? Is there hypocrisy? Are there reversals? That sort of stuff. But if you're in smaller markets, a lot of times they could just wait out the reporter and they'll just move on. And that strategy usually works. Public records consultants sell their advice to journalists who are hitting a bureaucracy brick wall. Now, custodians won't even have to wait. They'll just respond right away that a document was destroyed because its custodian did not consider it to be a public record. That's it. So as soon as you take all your notes, just destroy them. They weren't public record. I I decided that. The North Carolina Association of Broadcasters 
um, has urged people to contact their state senators against this and their state lawmakers against this. Um, so has the North Carolina Press Association. But it's it's done, right? The governor's not going to veto it, and so it's done. So good luck to all of us trying to get public records from our totally transparent state government. All right, you may have noticed that I've been helping the Alzheimer's Association of Western North Carolina for a while, and it's a great organization. they got awesome people with huge hearts. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's when I was a kid, and back then there wasn't a lot of support for caregivers and family. Now, things are different today thanks to the work of the Alzheimer's Association. It's why I support them. Every year we do a series of walks all over the country. There are a bunch in the Carolinas. You can go to alz.org slash walk for a walk to end Alzheimer's near you. This month, there are walks in Hendersonville, Rock Hill, Mooresville, Greenville. And in October, we got Charlotte, Gastonia, Asheville, Kannapolis, Hickory, and Spartanburg. Go to alz.org for all of the dates and locations. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, and we're asking if you can help us get there. Will you walk with me for a different future for families? For more time, for treatments, this is why we walk. Um, all right, so I did have this email. So the first uh, part of the program, I was discussing censorship and uh, the studies that were done, these surveys that had come out, Real Clear Politics did one. There were a couple other surveys and, and research that I, uh, that I mentioned. And so uh, Dillard uh, from Charlotte um, says that he occasionally listens to my show I am amazed that you can call out leftists for censorship. Actually, it's not really amazing, Dillard, at all. Not amazing one bit. I had the research and I had the surveys and their uh, people's responses uh, where they they indicated that they are progressives, they're leftists, and they uh, they're down with the censorship. So that's not. So there really shouldn't be anything amazing about that. And then I told a little bit about my background, but maybe Diller didn't hear it because he says he occasionally listens. So maybe he missed this part, too, where I talked about my experience with the censorship. And so I, I bristle at all of that. Um, he then says, you would not mention, I'm sure, all the recent calls for political violence against whomever disagrees by the MAGA extremists led by the former president. So I'm not aware of where... Have there been a lot of recent calls for political violence against whoever disagrees by MAGA extremists and Trump? Where I've not seen that. I've not heard that. That's not censorship either, though, by the way. That's speech. You realize that. Maybe this is the problem. Dillard being of the left doesn't understand what censorship actually is. Right, because I, if you've listened to this program, you would know that I object to, I oppose, I condemn all calls for violence, all of them. People need to, because my belief is that politics, this political debate that we engage in, that this is required of us because if this doesn't occur, then all there is is violence. And that's not a free society. That's one that's governed by violence. So I don't want that. So this is how you have that. I object to all calls for violence. I've not heard all of the recent calls for political violence. I think Dillard might be engaging in a bit of hyper uh, hyperbole here. Um, 
A man who just recently not so subtly called for the death of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff just because he didn't like something that the general said. Oh, yeah, because Donald Trump said that he should be uh, charged with treason. I wonder if Dillard's ever thought that Trump should be charged with treason. I love how we're supposed to be. so. See, this is the problem, Dillard, when you guys engage in the kind of rhetoric that you engage in is that it desensitizes everybody, right? And people were, do you remember Kathy Griffin holding up the severed head of Donald Trump? What do you think that does to people on the right that love Donald Trump, right? When they hear all the time, impeachment, impeachment, indictment, throw him in prison for the rest of his life, charge him with treason. What do you think that does to them? What do you think that does to Donald Trump just at a human level? Right. This is why I urged people not to engage in that, because I told them you're not going to like it when this becomes the universal standard. I guess we're at a universal standard now. So suck it up, Dillard. You guys are the ones that led us to this place. That is not that then that's not giving a pass to Donald Trump, who says Millie uh, should be charged with treason. Because guess what Donald Trump can't do? Charge anybody with treason. But guess what he's charged with? Well, four, he's charged with a lot. There's like four different indictments. He's got a lot. So, yeah, he's got a lot going on against him. But that's different, right? Because you're doing it to him, right? I keep telling you, this is not this is not a healthy path to go down. This sadly shows the autocratic rise I am sure you are aware of. And the dis- he's not the president. By the way, worst tyrant ever. Worst tyrant ever. Guy couldn't even rig his own election? Come on, man. Like, I'm supposed to believe Donald Trump is literally the incarnation of Hitler, but somehow or another, he lost the re-election, he's out of office. And for all the MAGA people that are like, oh, but it was rigged. Well, then why didn't he stick around? Worst tyrant ever. A better tyrant would have been like, screw you, come take me out, and like gotten the military in front of him and all this, Right? That's what a tyrant does. He didn't do that. Oh, but Pete, January 6th, again, failed. Worst tyrant ever. And then after it failed, he leaves everybody in the jails. And then he's like, oh, I never said anybody. I said, I said, just walk down peacefully. He, he, he wouldn't even like, he wouldn't even like try to like, I don't know, capitalize on the violence. Be like, that's right. And there's more where that came from. Worst tyrant ever. The dishonesty that surrounds everything, the former president. Okay, so this guy's got Trump derangement syndrome. Trump has broken Dillard's brain. Um, Surrounds everything former president does and says is something I would think you would be talking about and pointing out on your show. But here you go. But you're paid to call out leftists and Democrats who are trying to either restore the rule. (coughs) Oh, sorry. I, I almost, yeah, I almost, that was almost very messy. I'm sorry, when you say that the, the Democrats are trying to restore the rule of law or are themselves the targets of censorship and mock... Well, okay, you deserve to be mocked, Dillard. Leftists deserve all the mockery they get. All of it. From anti-woke extremists. You yourself should be well aware well aware of where such extreme extremism leads, Mr. Callan. This, by the way, see, this is um, it's a perfect example of picking the fight and then crying that you got punched in the face. 
You don't get to you don't get to cry about it when you pick the fight, and you guys have. What what does progressive mean? You are progressively trying to make the society something it isn't, but something you want it to be. Right? You're trying to progress it towards something, and there are some people that don't want to go there. They think where you're leading them is hell. They don't want to be there, and so. When they fight back against you constantly pushing and pushing and pushing and picking the fights, you don't get to cry that you found a fight. Anyway, I don't know. Have I been too? I think I've been a little easy on Trump, right? Been way too easy on him, right? I think all of the MAGA people would would agree. Pete, best friend of Donald Trump, right? <laughs> yeah. Spot on, Dillard. You totally nailed me. All right. I'll see you all tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>